0: Hello and welcome to PFL Fantasy Football Podcast USFL Week 2 Review Edition. My name is Ian Hart. It's your lovely host, as always. Lovely, not lovely, whatever. Here to give you guys some fancy information. Last week ran a little bit long story of my life on these solo pods sometimes. Don't think I need to necessarily go through every single touchdown from every game like we tried to last week. Just led to me talking too fast. And you know, if you didn't catch every single goal line plunge from two yards out, I think that's okay. You should take yourself over to the USFL Twitter account, though, where they actually did put together a four or five minute video, showed every touchdown from the week there were actually a lot this time around keep those slanderous mocking thoughts to yourself other than friday night didn't really apply or also check out my article on pff.com where i talk through the touchdowns what led to them usually supply a highlight if it's worth it and just basically show you the top scoring plays of the week so with those out of the way i want to focus just quickly on the scores offensive defensive players of the game the fantasy football workload metrics and any other quirky stuff i happen to find along the way so thanks again for tuning in and as always, we will be back later this week with the review look ahead for the DraftKings slate and gamblers amongst us. So with all that said, everyone, let's get to it. New Jersey Generals took down the Michigan Panthers 10-6 to on Friday night. This game was terrible, really, from start to finish. I mean, we had only two touchdowns in the entire game, both of which occurred in the second quarter. Had to give the offensive player the game, though, to Generals running back, Darius Victor. And the thing about Victor in this one, man, just a bruiser, 30-40 his rush. Yards came after contact, even got a Mark Ingram comp from the broadcast team uh, during uh during the game. So he did have a fourth quarter fumble, but you know, Victor did look good out there, wasn't even the uh you know lead running back in terms of snaps, small spoiler alert. Uh, but you know, just watching him run the ball. my um, guy Cody Main for established the run, who's always tweeting out this picture of Victor just looking like the freaking Hulk out there. Man, I would not want to be in his uh path when he gets going downhill defensive player of the game has got to go to michigan panthers safety orion stewart got the interception that set up the only michigan touchdown in this one three targets into his coverage just one was caught for three scoreless yards overall pff's third highest graded defender on the week so great game from orion stewart and now for the workload notes we'll start off with the new jersey generals continuing to use their split quarterback rotation deandre johnson played a little bit ahead of luis perez this week you would think if they get a bunch of negative game script perez will be that guy he is is their lead passing quarterback. But Johnson is not, you know, completely limited as a thrower. It was pretty – I forget who the color guy was uh, for this game. He was an ex-football player, but he kept talking about DeAndre Johnson. Like, if he can just figure out how to throw, like, he'll he'll have it all together and he'll be, you know, this team's best quarterback. It's like, no shit, man. He's a great rushing quarterback that can't throw that well. So, you know, if Luis Perez could run really well, he'd probably be their best quarterback too. But, you know, my – you know, we won't go down the – All the different examples of stuff we can do uh, with this, but either way, looking like a two quarterback committee is going to persist with the generals at running back Trey Williams, super chalky, you know, someone that I said before the week started, you know, deserved to be the number one highest projected running back of the slate had 67% snaps, most in the USFO. 81% routes could not be more elite. Ultimately, though, nine carries got out-carried by Darius Victor, who was on the field for just a third of the offensive snaps. So Trey did get all the targets, but clearly, even if Trey is going to be dominating, you know, some of the more utilization-friendly stats, like the snaps, like the routes, we still need to worry about Victor stealing away most of the early down work. And then only really two receivers to talk about, Darius Shepard, Got back to working as the number one. He was well outside the top three last week. Seemed to be more so due to a hamstring injury. He came in team-high six targets, team-high 73 air yards. Also had week one superstar Randy Satterfield out there as the other full-time receiver. Otherwise, Alonzo Moore, Kevante Turbin, Cam Eccles Looper. All just, you know, complimentary options in the offense. I would expect Jamon Moore, if he's able to return from that hamstring injury, to probably slide ahead of Alonzo in three wide receiver sets. But it's not a given. Right now, Shepard and Satterfield are ingrained as the top two guys. Three tight ends being used in this offense. Even with some injuries going on, uh, we just note that Woody Brandom could have had an early touchdown, but Luis Perez could not find him in the uh, flat area of the field. With the Michigan Panthers, so before the game, Jeff Fisher like told the broadcast crew apparently that Paxton Lynch was going to play. He played last week. Shea Patterson played, you know, pretty freaking horrific throughout this entire game, and Paxton Lynch still never got a chance. So. I I thought Patterson was their best option. He was legitimately good in the second half of week one. Uh, He was just terrible really throughout this entire game. He did convert a fourth and 20 in the fourth quarter. You know, we just tight. That was a fun time under two minutes. And he got them in position at the end of the game for a final throw in the end zone. Ultimately couldn't pull off the comeback. And again, it was just this offense. Like they're trying to use all these funky tight ends. You know, their offensive coordinator has his silly, you know, book or whatever you can buy about using this tight end spread heavy offense. And it's just not working. So Patterson, you know, just the only good things that seemed to happen were when he completely abandoned whatever the hell the play was trying to do and made something happen with his legs outside the pocket. So pressure was, again, an issue throughout the game. I mean, this is just really a mess of an offense. Three running back backfield, as we expected, with Reggie Corbin coming back in the thick of things. Cameron Scarlett, Stevie Scott did have a little bit more fantasy friendly usage, but I will say Corbin looked by far the best out there. Truly dynamic with some of his cuts in the first half, you know, relative to the USFL, but that's what we're talking about here. So if anyone's going to rise up, I do think it will be Corbin, but right now, just to stay away with three running backs. At wide receiver, another chalky player in the DFS series, Lance Lenore, nine targets, 164 air yards, and just couldn't get more than eight freaking DraftKings points. Him and Devin Ross were out there as the clear cut top two receivers in this offense. You would like to think more of what will happen in the future for Lenore. I mean, he was open a lot on these downfield shots, but unfortunately, Patterson, uh, you know, we always call the air yards that have no hopes of being caught prayer yards, and a lot of those unfortunately went Lenore's way. So, you know, I, he was open on a lot of them, particularly one 54-yard touchdown. That just should have been there. Uh, but just realize, you know, weak 164 air yards. A lot of those were Patterson just kind of saying, F it, I'm going to chuck this thing up deep for my guy. Three-way committee at tight end. Shout out Marcus Ball. X house State Buckeye with the four targets, 37 air yards. But don't think we're getting too much there. Uh, but yeah, pretty much a terrible game. There was a pretty ridiculous uh, flop in the fourth quarter by, um, I think it was one of the Panthers... Cornerbacks. I enjoyed that one, but yeah, guys, you know, as someone that really hadn't opened Friday night, you know, my fiance wasn't home until later. I had a lot of chances to maybe go out and do something good with my life. Unfortunately, I wasted the wasted it watching this game. There's the flop for you YouTube uh, listeners out there, but yeah, not a good one. And uh, it was getting the USFL a lot of, uh, you know, I think even deserved slander because this truly was brutal. Uh, you know, either way, it's looking like these are probably going to be two bottom four teams the rest of the way in the old. Power rankings. One note though that I could bring up about every game, but I'm just going to specifically bring it up for this one. Oh my God, these kickers spend all week complaining about there being the ball track, the tracking devices inside the footballs, and how that was messing up their kicks. That's why they missed all the kicks in week one fine. I will accept that. NFL has their K-balls. This is a normal thing. USFO accepts that. They switch out. They give them their K-balls. Kickers get their problem solved. And then they immediately start missing more and more kicks, man. And the broadcast was like trying so hard to bring this up. Like they literally brought up the point about how they were giving the kickers their own balls right after one of the kickers had missed an extra point. So First game, I mean, they missed two field goals, one extra point. None of these were particularly long, particularly the extra point, obviously, in five total attempts. This was a recurring theme throughout the weekend. So truly ban kickers particularly when they're asking for a favor that they get and then they continue to screw up what apparently we know was the issue in the first place so they have one job you kick a ball with your foot you don't need to be in physical shape you don't need to do anything else you literally take three steps and kick the ball that is their entire job and they still have the audacity to not only complain about it all week but then not do their job at a high level um who was it the the ninja gamer guy I'm not a big uh you know esports dude or anything but he had that tweet from a couple of years ago that got him in some trouble where he was just saying like don't understand why there aren't some kickers in the world that can just make every single kick I'm kind of with him guys at a minimum don't miss freaking extra points right after you complain about the freaking balls and you get your way so now that that's off my chest we can move on to the first of three very entertaining USFL, and I'd say two, one of two very entertaining games uh, from the weekend. The Philadelphia Stars took down the Pittsburgh Maulers thirty to twenty-three. This game started off, you know, with pick sixes by, um, I think this was one with pick sixes. Oh, that was the other game. Excuse me. Uh, this game just started off really with Brian Scott, but, but Brian Scott, not Byron. Byron. Brian Scott having a, really just his success all over the field. We talked about, you know, going to this, how the Philadelphia Stars were leaning on four and even five wide receiver sets more than most offenses. They had some injuries in that wide receiver room. So I hope you guys were able to listen to the review podcast where we pointed out a preview podcast where we were pointing out Dwayne McFarland and myself just how, you know, consolidated the wide receivers were inside this offense. So, offensive players of the game got to be Brian Scott, you know, PFF's highest graded passer on the week. 272 yards through the air. And- a trio of touchdowns he did have four turnover worthy plays and only ended up having one interception so were some issues in there that you know the Maulers just weren't able to take advantage of but we did see a 7.7 yard average target depth after he was really dinking and dunking in the first week uh brian scott even if i do still think kyle Sloter is better firmly in that discussion as a top you know three to four quarterback in the usfl also, i to give a shout-out to Stars wide receiver Maurice Alexander. Eight catches, 87 yards, and two touchdowns. And Mauler's wide receiver Bailey Gaither. Seven catches, 117 yards, and a score. Only USFL player to go over 100 yards on the week. Overall, Gaither Alexander led the USFL in total first-down receptions. Defensive player of the game, got to be Mauler's cornerback Jalen McLean Sapp. First, this dude leaps up, gets a sick one-handed interception to start the game. Now, it was on fourth down, so you could argue that he should have knocked the ball down, gotten some field position. But damn it, people, if getting a sick one-handed interception is wrong, then who really wants to be right in this world? Uh, you know, Bobby McClain and Warren Sapp apparently had this child quite a few years ago. Either way, uh, Jalen McLean Sapp, you know, showing this highlight for all YouTubers out there. Just truly a great game for him to go up there. Grab that ball. You know, oh man, one-handed goodness. Great game for McLean Sapp. Wasn't done though. Also got a long scoop and score. It seemed like a wide receiver might have a chance of catching him, but not so fast, my friend. McLean Sapp got there all the way. So scoop and score with a one-handed catch, even though they couldn't get the win. Great job from Jalen McLean Sapp. Stars, some fantasy usage stuff. again, Want to find all this? You want to copy paste it? That's great. Just go to pff.com. We'll always have this article up there, you know, as soon as I can on Monday. Shout out to our data team. They're usually done getting all the info for me by about 2 p.m. Eastern. Anyway, with the stars, Brian Scott, one of only five USFL quarterbacks to be in there for each and every one of their team's dropbacks. Great to see. The running back room, we had an injury. Darnell Holland was expected to be the lead guy because they had another injury they were already dealing with in the backfield. Unfortunately, he pulled his hamstring it looked like after a kick return. So yes, Paul Terry was out there leading the way, snaps, routes, rushes, targets. You picked a stat and he was the number one running back. Big reason, I believe, was because Holland was hurt. So we'll keep an eye on those injury reports throughout the week. Again, the official team accounts always send those out. At wide receiver, though, as we expected, just because of their lack of activations off the practice squad, we knew this was going to be a really condensed passing game. And it was. DeAndre Overton, Jordan Sewell, and Maurice alexander 100% 100% route rate. That's tough to beat, particularly with an offense that throws the ball around as much as the Stars do. So, suo and Alexander really had all the targets in this one, nine apiece. Don't be surprised if Overton maybe steps his game up in the future after only getting three here. And also, nominal wide receiver, Bug Howard. He spent over 80% of his snaps this year in the or out wide. Last week, he only had a 30% route rate. That boomed up to 81% this week. So, again, several wide receivers out. We gotta see if those guys come back. Might be some more uncertain Going to next week, but if they stay out, we are looking at a pass happy offense that is really centering everything around just four guys. That's what we're looking for in fantasy land, people with the Maulers. Last week Kyle Luletta was out there splitting stuff with Josh Love. This week it was just Josh Love. Most big time throws of the week. He impressed me a little bit. The Maulers have looked okay throwing the football and you know we saw that with Bailey Gather and even Delvin Hardaway doing some good things along the stretch. By the way those are the only two wide receivers we can really worry about in Fantasyland because of some of the other rotation going on but they can throw the ball. I just worry what's gonna happen in a closer game or one that's you know gonna actually involve the Maulers leading because I still do think this is a run first offense at its core. But hey, the one spot we can't take advantage of that at least is in the backfield. Garrett Groschek over 60% of the snaps and routes, 18 carries to just two for Madre London. I mean, London should be the you know pass down back you would think, but I don't know, man. We're seeing Groshek get it. He might not, you know, just because he's a former white Wisconsin, you know, running back, fullback, hybrid, doesn't mean he can't be a three-down stud in the USFL. Garrett Gocek, you know, he is going to be due for a couple touchdowns sooner rather than later. Uh, Might not be a bad idea to start, you know, getting on him as opposed to some of these chalkier, BJ Emmons, Trey Williams-type running backs. I know the Maulers' offense isn't great, but they have proved capable, shout out Josh Love and Bailey Gaither, of moving the ball uh, down the field at least a little bit over these past few weeks. Final note here, yeah, just some cool helmet cam goodness. I love these guys throughout the week. Again, just throwback to like the ESPN 2K uh, days, but they had this one view of one of the running backs basically going through the line, having a 300-pound defensive tackle just immediately waiting for him. And yeah, it looks just about as terrifying as uh, you might expect. I mean, you know, back in my day, I was never a good running back. If you gave me a hole and there was four yards there, like I might stretch it to five, but you know, I'm not getting much uh, other than that. But man. just seeing this helmet cam where there is no room man 300 330 pound defensive lineman just absolutely wasting away i absolutely love football but yeah you know we got the helmet cams we got the cool first down measurements i love that it was really great to see an actual good football game though beyond just the technology stuff 34 points in the second quarter USFL is capable of putting up some points in a hurry but now for the main event Saturday night, Birmingham Stallions 33, Houston Gamblers, 28. This was, like, you could unironically have called your friends on Saturday night and told them to turn on the USFL, and they wouldn't have looked at you like my friends usually look at me when I'm trying to talk about this league. This was a fun game, and starting off, a little bit funky. Each team had a pick six, you know, by the end of the first quarter. Um, well, likely had a 62-yard one, and also Brian Allen got one for uh, the Birmingham Stallions. But after that, man, this was just a great Performance. Another great performance by Jamar Smith, official USFL week one uh, player of the week. And Clayton Thorson still wasn't good through three picks, but he at least flashed a little bit. And we saw this Houston Gamblers offense do a little bit more than they had in week one. So, offensive player of the game is going to be Stallions, could be Jamar Smith. Maybe he gets it back to back officially. 20 of 30, 222 yards, and a pair of scores through the air. Also chipped in 31 rushing yards. So, Smith, man, he's only been starting because Alex McCou is out, but I at this point i don't know how they can go back to magoo the reason i was so far down on birmingham to start the season was because of magoo under center now with jamar smith there i think they deserve to be the number two ranked team behind only the new orleans breakers defensive player of the game got to go to houston gamblers cornerback will likely got a pick six that was fantastic but overall pff highest grade cornerback on the week added a tackle for a loss another pass deflection four targets into his coverage Two scoreless yards. Great game from Likely. It might be the same guy or it's just another guy with the last name Likely. But you guys know that meme where it's last name Likely for same thing with him. We can still make that meme in the USFL. Always a great day to be great in the meme world. Fantasy football stuff for the Stallions. Again, Jamar Smith taking every snap with Alex McGoo out. We did continue to see a split backfield between Tony Brooks James and CJ Maribel. Brooks James had the superior snap and route numbers just barely, although Maribel had 16 carries to just 9 for Tony Brooks James. So, you know, this was one of those big pricing discrepancies on DraftKings that we were quick to highlight going in the slate that Maribel was the preferred player. Uh, Maybe DraftKings is just, you know, more sensitive to guys with hyphens. I don't blame them. It does look cool from time to time. Luckily, we do have another offense that has some condensed wide receiver rotations. Victor Bolden, 100% routes, 12 targets. Marlon Williams, 94% routes, uh, three targets. And Osiris Mitchell, six targets on a 91% route rate. So all the other wide receivers and even Carry Angeline, the tight end, you know, more so being used as part-time players. A little more for Angeline, but they're using a fullback, which screws him over. Moral of the story in this offense, Marlon, Victor, and Osiris are Clear-cut top three wide receivers for Jamar Smith, who is making his, you know, making a lot of plays. Gotta love it. Real quick though, gotta give it some love to a Sirius Mitchell because my God, people, we saw one of the best taunts ever. Uh, shout out to some of the people that had discovered that in the past. Mike Dicka uh, no, it wasn't Mike Dick, uh, um Dick Buckus did the same celebration in like the '60s. The Bears had this kooky like. Field goal, bad snap, and they somehow end up throwing a uh, two-point conversion. Or maybe it was a touchdown to Dick Buckus, and he proceeds to catch the ball and then just hand it to uh, the, the other player that happened to be standing there. That's exactly what Osiris Mitchell did on Saturday night. I was joking on Twitter that an NFL player would be executed on the spot for pulling this move. Truly hilarious. you know. Beautiful ball from Jamar Smith. Finds Mitchell down the sideline, able to catch a touchdown, gets, you know, brought down by Jamar Summers at the end. What does Mitchell do? Puts the ball in his face and then proceeds to, you know, wave his hands at him and tell him to quiet down again. Absolutely baller move from Mitchell. If you don't like it, shouldn't I let him score a touchdown in the first place? I want more taunting in all facets of life. If you get the last orange juice before some grandma, you know, let her know about it. I don't know why this needs to be such a bad thing. People always getting their feelings hurt these days, yada, yada, yada finish this game up with a look at the Gamblers. Clayton Thorson, again, had some good moments. Had it actually extended the play and kind of kept the Gamblers in it briefly at the end. You know, broke a sack and was able to find his guy for like a 40-yard touchdown. Blown coverage, but we'll take what we can get. Unfortunately, we did see Kenji Barher get back in that game. Steal away eight dropbacks. So Thorson, not really someone we can trust uh, in fantasy land. I don't think his job's necessarily too up for grabs. I mean, he threw a nice touchdown to Isaiah Zuber down the middle and Barher just like took off-scramping even though he had the same exact open window uh, as we saw on replay. I know it's tough to tell sometimes, but it did seem like Bahar, you know, should have been making this throw. Anyway, I think Thorson will remain the starting QB, albeit not someone we should be focusing too heavily on in Fantasyland. Mark Thompson's right there with Garrett Groshek as guys that I think have enough underlying usage goodness to just keep going back to the well and hope for some nice touchdown aggression down the road. 66% snaps, 51% routes, 16 carries to so 7 from Dalen Dawkins. So the fact that Thompson, even at 235, is working so far ahead of Dawkins, even on pass downs, uh, has been surprising. And then we have a handful of interesting wide receiver notes. Tyler Simmons, 100% route rate. Isaiah Zuber, 97% uh, route rate. Zuber scored in back-to-back weeks. But don't sleep on Tyler Simmons getting 93 air yards of his own. You know some of them did come on that touchdown I mentioned where it was a truly blown coverage don't get too carried away but when we have even some kind of fluky air yards like when you're out on the field for 100 percent of the routes those are the types of things that can happen Tyler polka Anthony Rat- Ratliff Williams kind of eating <laughs> kind of eating into each other's uh, snaps and routes enough to render each as guys we're going to stay away from and fantasy same thing with the tight end groups so yeah again fun game gamblers and Clayton Thorson they convert a fourth and 10 on the final drive had a lot of clutch fourth down Conversions late in these games. That was fun to see. Got intercepted, uh, you know, about the Birmingham 25-yard line with just a minute and four seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. So fun ass Saturday night, exactly what the USFL needed again after that aforementioned debacle on Friday night. Sunday, thought we were getting the game of the week between, you know, my top two power rank teams from the preseason and after week one was not to be New Orleans Breakers. 34, Tampa Bay Bandits just Three points. I mean, look, it was just breakers from start to finish. Kyle Slaughter and company jumped on him. They were using some no huddle fast pace early on. I mean, it really did look like shout out Jason Garrett for pointing it out. We can be nice every now and then to the guy uh, in the first quarter. I mean, the bandits were like huffing and heaving, man. Like it was just the first quarter of the game, but the pace with, with which the uh, breakers offense was moving clearly took an effect on him and credit to Slaughter, man. He was completing uh, You know, it was one of those things where I think he was like eight for nine to start. Like he was just in rhythm all over the place. And how could you not be when you get to throw the ball to Jonathan Adams? So that takes us to the offensive players of the game. Slaughter and Jonathan Adams. Again, great game from Slaughter. And he did it playing through a painful groin injury. So the fact that he wasn't even 100% makes it that much better. But yeah, 268 yards, three total touchdowns, two through the air, snuck in one uh, from the goal line on the on the side. I do think Kyle Sloater, as we talked about in the preseason, is the USFL's best real-life quarterback. Unfortunately, it was not a good game for Jordan Tiamu, although we did see some of that scrambling that made Tiamu. I still think a reasonable bet to be the top fantasy quarterback before a season started. But guys, Jonathan Adams is the best wide receiver in the USFL, based on what we've seen so far. But we got three different examples of this dude just making kooky good catches on Sunday. So Jonathan Adams, he has had, you know, some... He has basically a fan base. You know, when I send out these video highlights, people are saying, oh, how's he not still in the NFL and all that. Went up like a freaking prime OBJ to reel in a contested catch at uh, first. Comes, you know, earlier in the game, two-point conversion. Makes a sick double toe tap in the back of the end zone. Kind of reminded me of... uh, uh, for you Buckeye fans out there, Jackson Smith and Jigba's first career touchdown against Nebraska, he was like outside the end zone. He was managed to still put his feet back in and then finish his things off. Anyway, Jonathan Adams was another great contested catch at the end. So Jonathan Adams, you know, wasn't able to find the end zone, but you look at what he was able to put on film. Again, not an exaggeration. Jonathan Adams looks a lot like the best wide receiver in the USFL right now. And hey, hopefully the guy gets a preseason uh, chance or whatever. You can have worse guys on your pre- practice squad scout team than someone that is able to make these plays against other professionals not nfl-level professionals but still professionals nonetheless great game from adams defensive players of the game got to be new orleans defensive lineman camilo Tongamoa excuse me on the pronunciation and sharif miller two of just four usfl defenders with more than five pressures in week two Tongamoa had seven miller had six Tongamoa also had two sacks miller batted down two passes New Orleans Breakers, fantasy stuff. Kyle Sloter again, one of five quarterbacks to have 100% snap rate. Love that. Jordan Ellis and TJ Logan were splitting things up in the backfield. Ellis lead early down back, 21 carries, 60% snap rates. Also ran more routes than TJ Logan, which was surprising, but you could tell who they wanted to get the ball to in the passing game. That was Logan, 10 carries and five targets for his troubles. At wide receiver, Clear-cut top three, Jonathan Adams, 85% uh, route participation rate with 124 air yards. But also had Sean Poindexter at 78%, Johnny Dixon, 75%. Hell, even Taiwan Taylor at 63%. So I wish, you know, we could have, like last week, Poindexter was just out of the picture. Maybe he was a little banged up. And because of that, it was a little bit more clear-cut. Could be a little bit of an issue for these other guys. Still had nine targets for Johnny Dixon. He caught a touchdown. Poindexter caught a touchdown on a nice contested catch. And even Taiwan Taylor was flashing a lot. You know, some of the things he was doing uh, yak in that first half. So um, we'll see. It does kind of look like it will probably be a little bit hit or miss. But when we got Kyle Sloter out there slinging the way he was looking, um, you know, we could have a little bit more of a wide receiver rotation here and still live with it in fantasy land. And final note, Sal Canela, 85% route rate. That's about as good as you're going to find at the position with the Bandits. Final group, everyone. Jordan Tiamu, 74% snap rate. We actually have Brady White coming in, stole away 13 dropbacks. Never once did it look like this was a rational decision to make. Brady White looked terrible out there. I'm not sure why they got away from Tiamu in the first place. And we even got some Wildcat stuff from John Franklin. I mean, I would have rather had the Franklin package than Brady White because you're bringing in White. This dude does not look like he's capable of being a good dual-threat quarterback. Literally, his first play was coming in, runs a option and makes the wrong read and gets his running back killed for like a five yard loss i mean i understand the generals kind of bringing in deandre johnson to provide a different change of pace but like i don't know that white's a better passer than tiamu and he's definitely not a better runner so what the hell are we even doing here todd haley i don't know bandits offense not looking nearly as sharp as maybe some of us thought they would before the season but more things to worry about in the preview later this week in the running back room BJ Emmons, still the clear-cut RB1, had 18 combined carries and targets and just 10 for Juwan Washington. But because Washington is their primary pass down back, we actually saw him run more routes and, you know, pretty much play the same amount of snaps, 52% versus 48% uh, with the Bandits obviously trailing for the majority of the afternoon. And at wide receiver, Jordan Lassley, 92% route rate, clear-cut number one, 114 air yards. I will say, though, similar to Lenore, a lot of these air yards were – could probably be filed under the Prairie Yard designation because, you know, let's face it, a lot of times uh, Tiamu just kind of getting frustrated it seemed chucking the ball deep just to kind of try to get anything going, albeit nothing really did. John Franklin was the interesting one, though, because he had three targets, 18 um, air yards in his own right, but also chipped in the four carries, even had a drop back uh, for his trouble. So they were using him in the Wildcat, and he was looking electric out there, like Wildcat, big gain. Next play, they threw him the ball, and he was breaking tackles. Unfortunately, did lose a Fumble at one point. So the Bandits offense wasn't quite as bad as this was made out to be. You know, Franklin lost a fumble. They had uh, two interceptions out there. They had a um, a field goal where like they were inside the uh, five yard line about to score a touchdown. So not fully out on the Bandits right now. Uh, Just realized that if we're going to start getting this Tiamu uh, Brady White rotation, that could be problematic. And then Baby Gronk, uh, Chiani O'Grady, only 59% routes uh, because Daquan Hampton had to come in and steal half the stuff. I mean, O'Grady was their best pass catcher in week one. So to limit him to a part-time player, might have to go check in and see if there's an injury or something because that just does not make any sort of rational sense to me. So great game by the Breakers. For them to get that W, certainly going to be atop my USFL power rankings come later this week. So thanks again for tuning in this episode of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I will have another um, episode uh, out later today with Mr. Dwayne McFarland. We're going to answer some of the questions we asked for on Twitter. So, you know. Appreciate all USFLers out there and anyone that is just listening to me for fantasy stuff and, you know, is just annoyed by this whole project. I hear you, but we're still producing the same amount of work for regular fantasy, regular NFL, you know, as we were doing before the USFL started. So I I like this league, people. We got live football on the weekend, actually having some scoring potential now. Um, It's a great day to be great and a great day to love the USFL. So I'm Ian Harditz. Thanks again for tuning to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.